Welcome to the Conscious Combat Club, trauma-informed martial arts by women for women. I'm your host Georgia and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please note that some listeners might find this content distressing. Take care, connect with your support networks and refer to the organisations in the show notes below. This episode features my incredible new friend, Kanisha Koi. Kanisha is a martial artist by way of Taekwondo who is passionate especially about breaking and combines board breaking with art therapy in a way that you are going to love learning about. Kanisha is a PhD candidate researching the space of martial arts, bystanders, intersectionality, uh, and the role that board breaking and trauma-informed practice might have in connecting that space in an absolutely beautiful way. You're going to love learning more about that, um, as well as Kanisha's experience as a member of the BIPOC community in martial arts, um, as well as conversations around power um, around the role of martial arts uh, in our lives, around the spectrum of martial arts and the ways that we show up as individuals and as part of community. So Kanisha, can you tell us firstly, what brings you to the wonderful world of martial arts? (laughs) First, I want to say thank you for having me. And I'm just encouraged and excited to be talking to you, you trailblazer also known as georgia okay <laughs> seriously um martial arts for me uh, i always loved watching the movies and would take the moves with my cousins um i'm one of the few female cousins amongst amongst a lot of males and would always imitate as a child and um i had the opportunity to start training in 2001 I moved from, I I live in the United States and I um, lived in Massachusetts at the time and I moved to Florida and started training and I just fell in love with it. It was, uh, I I trained in Taekwondo and it's more of the WT system. Um, I've started to venture out into other systems though. So I've been learning a few ITF forms and um, even interacting with martial artists who are in Taekwondo and other disciplines as well. Um, just learning what they do, because I think it's, I, I do believe that we should be more inclusive instead of exclusive. So that's one of the things I love about martial arts that I've encountered often, though not always. So when I was training, I started working at the same place that I was training. I started driving the buses and, you know, going out and flyering because that's what we did back then. And um, it got me talking to a lot of people. And I was starting to, uh, with a person that I was um, around mostly, we got into doing a lot of competitions and I wanted to be a better fighter. And I think as many um, learn that when you're training long enough, you transition from being a fighter to understanding that it's not about the fighting, it's sparring. And then that transition from fighting to sparring to self-protection, you learn really to respect what you're doing because you can actually really hurt somebody. So I was competing in sparring and I heard something across like 
the room and it was like it was this odd yell it was between a yelp and a grunt and it was just like what is going on over there and i just walked over there because that's me and i i saw people breaking things and i'm just like whoa what do you what is this and i saw someone who i admire and at the time he wasn't master but he's now master on uh, nick zambri he was breaking concrete and bricks and he was on top of nails and i'm like i think i just fell in love so <laughs> for me it was like huh what is this odd thing that you have me in and i've seen breaking because it's one of the um training domains that we have in uh, taekwondo but i never saw it like that and that's what had me fall in love that day and continuously i love breaking <laughs> oh, that is so freaking cool. I think everybody has a, a memory like that. For me, um, I can remember being, I must have been maybe 15, so I've been training mm -hmm. for a few years, and at a tournament we had um, a couple of guys visiting from Russia, and they were mm -hmm. doing ice breaking. And it was not just like, you know, a little sheet of ice, you know, it was like huge blocks of ice where like bits yeah. of the bits of it flew off and like hit people and i just couldn't believe that they were breaking that i never have attempted to break ice then i didn't watch it and be like yes that's gonna be me i was like oh, <laughs> what am i doing i think there's a lot of whimsy in all of us martial artists anyway because the things that we're led to like ow that hurts so good you know what i mean who says that i mean really yeah. but a lot of us we get it and you get to kind of also delineate what pain is because mm. not all pain is the same. So it's very much like, okay, well, that was a good pain. Like, mm, I'm pushing it and that's okay. And I'm pushing it in a way that I don't think is great. So a breaking, I think that there's a metaphorical as well as a literal connection. And I just got connected to that and, and the emotional connection that some days you're going to be hitting that, that material and it's not going to break. You can be as strong, as skilled, and sometimes, I mean, you have to put that discipline in regularly. And there are days when it feels like it's almost effortless, almost. I think there's always effort, but it's not necessarily like, oh my goodness, so hard. And I think you get to respect the hard of it. And the people I found in the breaking community, for the most part, have been very welcoming, they're inviting, um, to a lot of different things. I'm weird. I know that. And <laughs> I'm not, uh, it, I'm weird in that I, I like to bring art to what I do. So, um, oh, I can actually show you. Um, I, I'll show you at a different time or whenever is appropriate. I, I draw on boards. I um, do different types of art representation and I connect it to a message and a story. So, you know, it's not your regular breaking story, but I call it break story because I'm trying to help uh, connect breaking and mental health. And the community has been really welcoming to that, but it's also, you know, it's work. So I have to, there are things that I need to work on. Like I need to work on my timing. I need to work on, so it's always something to, to keep in the forefront of your mind, but it's also breaking down stigma. It can be anyway, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I have so many areas that I would love to hover on. Um, I adore this, this concept of 
putting art onto a board and then breaking it. It's like the literal representation of um, something that we do in my family where we'll, um, if there's something that is like a recurring thought that we can't quite break through, um, mm -hmm. or if there is, you know, like um, an idea or something that we're really struggling with is that we'll put it in a glass jar and break it, or we'll write it on a piece of paper and set it on fire, but not literally, just in our mind's eye. And you're doing it literally onto the board. So I'm like, <laughs> yes. Well, this is one of them. I was coming up with a story, so I called it Break Story. And I was thinking of being able to talk about BIPOC representation and sometimes lack thereof within um, the world of martial arts. And then you know, there's other things like breaking through the binary of boards. This is uh, not my best, but I like Can to you, incorporate. Um, explain out loud just for those who aren't watching because a lot of folks will be just listening to this podcast. Oh, um, sure, sure. So what I'm showing, Georgia, are boards that are typical sizes uh, at, at breaking tournaments. And what I've done is I started this, I started getting into this because I, I've been in so many um, tournaments and they seem to not all of them, but they seem to be very much the same. And <laughs> that gets very, very boring, in my opinion. So um, Master Elton Trower, uh, rest in peace, he told me back in 2006, yeah, 2006, 2007, um, he encouraged me to be different. And he said, you're going to be the future of breaking, not because of the strength, because you're strong, but because of the creativity. And you might be bringing that in a different way. And I want you to continue to do that. And it, it was a great honor to hear that from somebody who was so, so well esteemed and just a really nice guy. And it let me see that even though we have muscles, even though... Well, muscles and, and we can be physically strong, you can be emotionally strong and that emotional strength can extend to being kind. So, and vulnerable. So I competed that year and then I didn't compete again for <laughs> years after that. Um, and I came back in 2010, I competed and then last, uh, 2021 was when I started getting back into martial arts again and breaking and I figured, well, if I'm going to come back, I'm going to bring me. So the board that I'm showing you now, Georgia, is um, I, I like superheroes and, and um, I'm definitely a comic books fan and more of, you know, you're Marvel than DC, but that's fine. And <laughs> what you have here is uh, you have Black Panther. Um, and I also have oh, one I showed before was Spider-Man and I create a story within two to three minutes and I'm breaking through um, regarding one topic. And I just think it's important to be able to have it visceral, but also emo emotively uh, connective. And it's one of the things I love about breaking. It's incredible. I'm, I'm so about this. One day, one day now I'm even more motivated to like get to the States or get you here so that we can like make this into a session. I'm, I'm so down for this. Um, I have some ideas. I'll tell you when we're not recording. 
yes, okay, yes, yes, please. Um, I, I want to hover around the inclusivity mm. piece uh, because mm. you've touched on it a few times in a few different realms as well too. Um, and I'm quite curious about what you see in the parallels and maybe not parallels between for example, the different fractions within, you know, your experience as Taekwondo, but, you know, across all martial arts, there are splits where, you know, some fractions don't talk to other fractions and we have these like political divides within the styles. Um, in what ways do you, you see those experiences being mirrored in experiences as a person of colour or for, you know, queer communities or other minorities in terms of inclusivity? Wow. Um, thank you for even asking that question. I think it's a brave question to ask because the answers aren't necessarily as packaged pretty. Mm. Um, I think that it's necessary to ask those questions and be willing to hear the answers of, of just different people because we all have different experiences. And I think we're in a society now that is so polarized to the point of, I think this, and if you don't think like me, then you're wrong. And it goes, it extends to different being deficit, but different doesn't have to be deficit. It's distinctive, if anything. So it's a weird time, but I think it's also this time provides opportunity in that there are traditional martial artists and there are those who don't subscribe necessarily to those specific traditions. It doesn't make them any less martial artists. Um, to borrow from Grandmaster Junri, also rest in peace, I respected this martial artist so deeply. Um, he came up with some really interesting concepts. And I mean, his, what was it? Uh, Fight for Might. He did a uh, martial arts, martial ballet exodus. He did um, a form to Dr. King's um, I Have a Dream speech. People look at his work even now and they're like, well, that's not martial arts. And I've seen different columns, uh, different sections in, in comment sections where they are just, no, that's not martial arts. That's not what I want to do. And I'm like, well, think about what you just said. It is martial arts, even if that's not what you want to do. So mm -hmm. why in this binary space of, oh, it's absolutism, of it's not being martial arts, just because you don't identify with it doesn't mean that it doesn't have its own identity. And then going into even deeper um, inclusivity, I it's an odd thing. And it, it to, for me anyway, it correlates with the question of martial arts saving um, my my own life. I have felt included by very specific martial artists, and it's not even color um, constructed because that also sometimes people assume, oh well, black people accepted you because you're black. I'm like, no, I've been accepted by persons who have less melanin. Thank you. Let's not assume again the binary, um, but I've also been rejected. Um, like with breaking and connecting art, it's like, oh, well, that's not what creative breaking in is. I'm like, well, it's creative. I'm breaking. I think it is. <laughs> and other people apparently agree. So uh, as a woman who identifies um, as uh, a part of her Black identity and of the African diaspora, um, I do recognize that there are different uh, sections, different 
martial artists who don't necessarily subscribe to me being in their dojos, their dojons, their training centers and spaces. You know, I've had that happen where it's like, oh, well, you're a woman. Oh, well, you're one of those, you're an other. And it's so interesting to me because martial arts is about being diverse within tradition as well as being uh, an alternative practice. You know, <laughs> so it's very much odd when people try to place their identity and their lack of knowledge onto others. And in this case, myself, because I'm speaking about my experience and then act like I, I and others should subscribe to that. Like, no, I'm not going to, and I'm not ever going to. And it's then where I use martial arts and even more specifically breaking, but forms, because I think about how people formulate the stories that are manifesting in their mind and then they perpetuate that into others. Um, I think there's opportunities if people are willing to learn from others, but also it's to not get stymied by those containers that have been enslaved by those people, not to get caught up in that because, I mean, so many people love to quote Bruce Lee, but they don't recognize that he was an outsider when he was bringing uh, martial arts here. They don't recognize the hardships that he went through. And it's great to look back, I mean, now and be like, oh, Bruce Lee was so great, but he suffered a lot of prejudice. He suffered a lot of ignorance and he was placed in those spaces that were not welcoming. So I bring that all back into focus of being a bi identifying with BIPOC um, community and having that placed upon me like, oh, well, you're less than. I'm like, no, I'm not. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that my value doesn't exist. So, and that's another thing that martial arts, I think, is really, it can be great, but also can be lonely. Um, I've been able to be around people, ironically, I, I never expected this to happen. Um, martial artists who are, um, who use this for trauma-informed um, communities and helping communities, this is almost like a breath of fresh air. Not that I'm ever wanting there to be trauma in the world, but as much as I love martial arts, uh, I have had very specific trauma um, incidents that have happened that have been connected. And knowing now that there is this community that's growing, that's using trauma responsive practices to help community members as well as help get healing for themselves, this is something I absolutely am all aboard being a part of. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> it does. Uh, and there are so many beautiful things that I want to pull out from that. Um, okay. uh, towards the end, right, around trauma-informed practice, um, one thing that I always love to highlight for folks is that in an ideal world, we wouldn't need to use the term trauma-informed. The term right. we would use would be person-centred, as mm. in we see the person as the individual with having individual needs as existing within multiple communities um, and bringing those experiences to the way that they show up in our space um, and honouring all of that while attempting to not perpetuate any harm and also tailor to their individuality and celebrate that. That is trauma-informed practice, but currently we really need to lead with the term trauma because undoing the work of the of the harm that is still currently existing in our world is 
first and foremost. Um, but I love, for example, the work of Adrian Marie Brown um, in talking about, you know, how important it is that we don't lose sight of the, the good thing that we're working towards, um, mm -hmm. you know, that we are not just looking to undo harms because and then what you know we're not always just fighting against negativity we're also looking to step into more pleasure more joy more positivity into our lives and and trauma-informed practice is really like a a sort of segue into that space but we're keeping right. sight of that we're not we're not just undoing damage because at that point what you you get to the end of your life or you get to the end of your martial arts career if you see an end or whatever that practice looks like or process looks like um and it's like for what you know for for right. what why are we healing if it's not to experience more beautiful things right. um just healing for the sake of healing and i do think a lot of that does tend to go on because understandably we get stuck um within seeing the injustice rather than seeing why we're trying to fight the injustice in the first place. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my goodness, that was so awesome stated. Yeah. You have I to have a focus, I think, in anything of what is your why. Mm -hmm. And when I'm working with clients um, who have gone through, because um, I work with largely, but not solely, um, persons who have been affected by SDV. So, that's sexual assault, that's uh, child abuse, that's domestic violence, into um, intimate partner violence. And it's being able to have regular conversations of what is the other side. And that's one of the reasons why, and I'm so grateful you brought it up. Um, that's why I use uh, Marvel, I use comic books and Marvel characters because sometimes, well, more often than not, you lose your voice when you've been um, a victim to these types of traumas. And it could be argued if you've had intergenerational and complex trauma, then you might not even be acquainted with your voice. Mm -hmm. So by the time we're interacting, you're so used to um, being in, a, in an identified role, but you don't know what your actual role is. So it's very important. I, and I think martial arts is excellent in being able to help with that Let's find out what your voice, where, where does your voice go? Actually, let's find out what you want your voice to sound like. Who do you want to be? And let's create a character and connect you with that character. And a character doesn't have to be foreign. And as they're getting stronger within their martial arts practice, they're getting stronger within their character and that voice starts to come out and they start to inhabit that voice. So it's like, well, don't get married to the pain get married to the promise of who your best self can actually be and start to get a picture of that. And that picture starts to grow. And then after, as it continues, that pain, because it's all, I think there's always an aspect that remembers, was it um, Vanderkolk Kalk, um, book, The uh, the Body um, Keeps the body keeps Yeah. Thank you, yes. Um, it's always there to a degree, but as you're healing, it shifts. And even having a conversation about forgiveness, you know, I, I, I try to, um, with other practitioners as well, um, invite the space that forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation, but it does mean being able to let go in a way that makes sense to you. You may, you're not going to probably be able to let go immediately, but this is intentional work because this is life work. 
And as you are working towards that best healed self, you're not going to necessarily be so, so attached to what has happened. It doesn't mean that you're ignoring what happened, but it does mean that you're clinging onto a new vision. So I just resonate with what you said because we can't just focus on the pain because then we get more pain. Yes. And I love this piece around being able to try on characters. You know, I think we're always playing characters, right? Like my (laughs) podcasting self is different to the self that I am when I'm with my parents, to when I'm with clients, to when I'm with friends, my martial arts self. Uh, Those are all characters that I'm playing to an extent and they do bleed into each other. Um, And that's what I notice across martial arts spaces, both with clients of mine and also with you know, friends that I have who don't practice in trauma-informed spaces is that because they get to play the confident character in martial mm-hmm. arts, that right. starts to seep over into other areas of their life. And again, we probably can barely get through an episode without talking about how much we are experiential beings. So it's mm-hmm. no good to tell you, like, be confident, play a confident character in your mind if you can't right. actually imagine that in real life. But if you get to do that in a setting, whatever it is, whether it's in martial arts or you know some other setting then you've actually got proof and you don't need to trick your mind into believing that it's possible because you have concrete evidence that it is possible i love that you just said like everything <laughs> about that there's an exercise i've done with um some youth i've been working with because they are under the interesting impression that when you get to be an adult or an adult, as some of them like to say, I'm like, hey, rock however you say it is fine, um, that you get to do every anything that you want. And I'm like, you guys, um, I'm technically an adult. I don't get to do everything I want. They're like, yes, you do, ma'am, yes, you do. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, you know, you get to say whatever you want, you get to be whatever you want. I'm like, well, I get to live the life that I would like to, but within that come responsibilities. And how I'm linking it to what you just said, I, I one of, I call them my sweethearts, um, was saying, miss, I have, people are so fake because they say one thing and they do another. And I'm like, well, some people can be hypocrites and some people can be fake, but we don't know what's going on within that. So I was talking to them about basketball games because you're trying to get them out and doing more things. I'm like, well, would you use your basketball voice in the same way as you would use your voice in church it's like no i'm like you're right you that was so obnoxious no you would not do that so does that mean that you're being fake he's like oh miss i'm like right so because you're using your basketball voice at a basketball game and you go to church and you use a lower tone it doesn't mean that you're fake it means that you're showing up in a different way Mm. so it could be that that person is being fake or it could be that you're seeing a side that you just don't recognize. Let's give the person grace. And if it does produce the pattern of them being fake, then handle it sometimes by not handling it. Sometimes it really depends, but don't just assign them the labeling that they're being fake because we don't know what they're going through, just like they don't know what you're going through. And that really might be who they needed to show up at that day at that time in order to survive. So I think it's like being able to understand that there's different, Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, she spoke, uh, she's the one who coined intersectionality. Mm -hmm. I think that especially within as martial artists, we're supposed to show up as being all these strong beings. But I think maybe we need to reframe what strong and strength actually mean. You know, we could be physically strong and emotionally weak. And what does emotionally weak actually mean? 
you know, being vulnerable doesn't mean that you're less than. If anything, that's a different type of strength. But we're not necessarily as societally, we're not pushing that. So I think as martial artists, it's one of our responsibilities to be able to show up in those spaces and be like, yeah, physically, we're as strong as we can be, emotionally, that too, and have spaces where people can show up and be vulnerable. And if they need to cry, and this is males, absolutely, um, breaking down those toxic masculine um, barriers so then they can be better allies. And then we can be also better allies in accepting that, hey, I don't know what it means to be a man. Quite frankly, I don't want to, I like being a woman, but I respect that you are a man and I want you to be able to be safe in your space. I want transgender persons to be safe in their space, but I also, I don't get to tell you how to occupy your space, just like you shouldn't tell me how to occupy mine. And it's that emotional reciprocity, I think, that if we bring it to martial arts, we, I think we honestly could change a lot of things that are going on in this world, but we've got to be able to stop looking at, oh, well, my martial arts is better than yours. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> That's not solving problems. <laughs> not at all. And I love that we're bringing it back to intersectionality because one of the things that I was wanting to hover on um, a little bit ago, which is exactly the way that I love having conversations with all of these multiple, beautiful, delicious tangents, um, <laughs> is that really the, the more that I work in this space and the more time that I spend thinking about what are martial arts, the more I think about it as a spectrum, just like mm -hmm. I think about almost everything in life as a spectrum. You know, you had a board before about breaking the binary. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we think a lot about the gender binary. Um, mm. There are so many binaries that we try to create and it, it's almost infinite. Um, because our brains are just little logic making machines that love right. being able to be like, it either is or it isn't, you know, it's very <laughs> black and white thinking, as opposed to looking at things as a spectrum, you know, on the spectrum of the so called hard martial arts to the soft martial arts and what that looks like, you know, trauma informed martial arts to traditional martial arts and what that spectrum looks like. And, and I talk mm -hmm. about that a lot with the coaches that I work with. Um, because there's so much variation between different people. You know, you meet people who you are like, I resonate so much with the way that you step into this space and you create the opportunities for folks to be able to be vulnerable on the mat, to, you know, bring their other identities into the space or, you know, the other end of the spectrum would be, you know, whatever the opposite is to that. And there are so many spectrums that are at play at once. Um, that conceptually it doesn't actually fit on a graph model right like you right. can have one spectrum if you're thinking about just like one area but as soon as mm -hmm. you think about a whole person well there are so mm -hmm. many spectrums at place and you mm -hmm. you know it's not possible to have all of the spectrums lining up in a way that they intersect because there's infinite locations on each of those axes where mm -hmm. a person could be intersecting and so then we just become complete individual beings but also with all of these little like thread ties to each other in all of these wonderful like slightly different slightly similar ways um yeah. and that becomes really complex to think about and that I think is the the difficult work that you know for whatever mm -hmm. reason we've put in the too hard basket I think up until now and now there are more and more change makers such as yourself who are like <laughs> actually actually how could we think about this differently 
I think, but to your point, thank you. And following your footsteps, because I think that sometimes we're put in these positions to change because in a way we see that there isn't any alternative, you know? Um, so this year has been one of my hardest academic years for sure and emotional, but it's also been hugely awakening. And a part of that was even finding out that trauma responsive martial arts actually exists. I never knew that this was out there. I just thought I was taking um, my qualitative methods research class and I needed a project. And the uh, instructor who is also a martial artist um, knows that I, I love it. And she also knew that I was taking a break. So I took a break um, from May 21 to present-ish uh, martial arts because I was like, okay, what do I do in this space? Um, I wanna be in martial arts, but I saw some trauma tales and tie-ins um, that I didn't want to be connected to. And I really wasn't sure where I fit in this. I knew I didn't want to leave martial arts alone, but I also didn't know what was next. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to use this year to figure that out. But I also am in school. And I didn't expect the two to come together <laughs> how they did, but they did. So my project um, was to investigate martial arts and I was stating martial arts it has connections to mental health um, advocacy. And there are plenty of articles that speak to this, but they speak about it in very broad ways. So I was looking for more specific information, more specific research. And I started thinking, is there trauma-informed martial arts? And I just typed that in. And there it was, I'm like, oh my gosh. I was shouting right in my living room. My neighbors probably thought I was crazy, that's fine. But <laughs> I made it a, a chart of as many as I could. And I contacted 32 out of 32. I really only had one negative um, situation and it wasn't because that person was even trauma informed in any way. It was a person who so linked to some of what you were saying, they saw martial arts in one way. And anybody who was trying to have martial arts be in any other way, they were wrong. And they told me that martial arts is actually violent and anybody who tries to say that it isn't is wrong. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for having the time to talk with me. And it, But it was a weird, but that's what it was. So reaching out to everyone else, they were extraordinarily welcoming, supportive, I started finding out that, oh my goodness, there's academic pursuits within martial arts. Um, Hello and yum. I mean, yes. so, it led me to you and I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, as we know, Dr. George Jennings has been just, he is so great about wanting to connect people. And um, I, taught, I talked to him about something that I'm starting, which I'm calling MAM, Martial Arts Absolutely Matters, and being able to connect martial arts and healing and, and just, and it's just, this community has been extremely supportive. And the other side of that, because, you know, as martial artists, we know about balance, we know the yin and yang, is the people, many that I spoke to, they have gone through a significant traumas. Many of them, unfortunately, have had some type of assault um, there's been abuse. I myself have survived um, child abuse and sexual assault. Um, and it's 
to a point where I think this resonates, especially, well, definitely among the people I've talked to, we don't want anybody to ever go through any of these situations. And because of our own healing journey and process, we know that we can contribute to our communities, to this world, by letting people know what happened to you was not okay. It should have never happened. And what we're going to do is be able to promote healthy well-being and not get stuck in our pain. So these are active choices. Some days look better than others. <laughs> other days are like, oh, I might not want to get out of bed. This might be a life practice right here. But <laughs> for the most part, it's very much of I'm making the choice and you're making the choice and we are actively making these choices because almost in a way we have no other choice. And of course we have the choice to not, but it doesn't really feel like a choice. Mm, I love how much you keep coming back to choice and voice. It's right? such a central trauma-informed principle. Um, it really underpins, you know, all trauma-informed practice because, you know, I love there's a quote in David Emerson's book about trauma-sensitive yoga, which is that uh, trauma is by definition the absence of choice, yep. right? And looking to restore that into somebody's life, again, by experience, is no small thing like it seems like such a small thing just to, to give people choices um and especially in martial arts settings where you know you you're raised to just say yes or say us or you know what, whatever the word is in in your style and there's there's not even a no option it is just like yes and i will push myself no matter what because you know you are the instructor and i am the student and when we flip that it's like it's a huge, huge difference. And like the value of that cannot be understated, I think. Truth. So much truth in that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's also go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I was just thinking about the um the choice with the voice. It's also allowing people, and I'm speaking within a martial arts um context, allowing um our training supporters know how to do that with us because something i noticed uh, at a conference with dr jennings um one there were more women who were presenting than i've ever seen at an academic conference and at an academic martial arts conference it just blew me away um the women were sharing their stories that involved trauma and every single one which I appreciated what you also touched on, it wasn't stuck in the pain. And it was talking about how they were moving forward with purpose. What I noticed also though, were some of the men in the space, actually almost everyone, um, they were so considerate and kind. And it wasn't about pitying, it was about I am, this should have never happened to you. How can I show up and be there for you? And I think that comes with a certain internal integrity and a confidence that it doesn't matter how big your outer muscles are. It's like, no, I know that this is wrong. And not only do I know that it's wrong, I'm speaking up and out about that. That's a choice because I don't know, you've probably been in this, but I, and we watch people bystand things that are horrible and it's just like no stand up for that person they need your voice and 
I think one of the things that we can do and something I'm, I'm working on within my, um, my doctoral work is creating spaces of bystander intervention. So then we can support the supporters, help them be better supporters, as well as helping people who have no idea about martial arts, how do we help them learn from a mental health side of awareness of, well, I'm in spaces where I'm uncomfortable. How do I speak up? I might not even need to speak up here. Maybe I'm calling for help. Understanding that calling for help doesn't mean that you lack. If anything, that's a strength. Breaking down the stigma of, oh, well, I'm a snitch. It's like, no, if you're helping another person, you're helping humanity. If you're helping humanity, you're helping our collective narrative. If you're helping our collective narrative, then we're all healthy together. But that also that always comes back to choice. Yes. And using your voice in a way. There are so many listeners to this show who will really resonate with that. And one of the topics that we talk about a lot is um, how to change the culture within your gym. Um, because it's very easy to say, you know, vote with your wallet. And, you know, if the space that you're training in doesn't align with your values and you're seeing things that, you know, are wrong, then leave. Um, mm, yeah. And there's a lot of value in that. And at some point you might have to do that. I personally mm -hmm. did that this year where I could no longer tolerate being in the space. Um, but I have the huge privilege to be able to do that because I live in a major city and there are many options for different gyms that I can train at across different styles um, sure. and even within each style, right? So if I'm trying to look for a new gym of the same martial art, it's gonna be very easy for me to do that. Um, I even have the option to shop around and get a sense for where am I going to start committing my time to. But that is not the case across the world. Um, depending on where you live, sometimes you actually do need to be the change maker and change culture. And we get a lot of questions about that from folks who listen to this show who are wondering, you know, I'm I'm seeing racism in the, the space that I train at. I'm seeing homophobia, uh, homophobia. I'm seeing transphobia. How can I change the culture when I don't own the gym? I'm just one person. What do you think? Right. It is a big, it's a powerful question. It is a big question. Um, congratulations on your choice, by the way, because I, I don't know, obviously, all the ins and outs, but I know from my own perspective that when you leave a situation, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of deliberate thought. So, um, I think sometimes, especially as martial artists, because we're, our culture is to push and there's certain loyalty, quote unquote, tied into that. It's like, you need to be loyal. And I used to look at loyalty because I am by my own nature, a very loyal person. Um, if, especially if I love you, if I believe in you, it is extraordinarily hard for me to leave you. I had some situations though that I've seen where I've been loyal to a person and they haven't been loyal. So then I was continuously in these hurt type of situations. And I started to like within the last 15 years, um, reframe loyalty. And it's being loyal to a principle as opposed mm -hmm. to a person. <clears throat> so within being loyal to the principle, it's okay, is this person adhering to integrity? Not telling me that you're integritous, but are you actually subscribing and then is are, are the patterns of your life aligning with what you're saying? Because so many people like to say words don't mean anything. And I'm like, well, I bet you if you got a call that said you won a million dollars, 
those words would mean a lot. <laughs> so it's not that words don't mean anything, it's empty words followed by lack of action that don't mean anything. So following the principle, looking at the patterns, um, something I just think, because I think, especially out of my doctoral work, it's coming, um, don't discount the data. And data isn't only science by um, binary numbers, it's if a person keeps leaving you um, out in the lurch, and then they come back, oh, you just abandoned me. No, you abandoned that person, but they gave you the scissors to cut them off. So it wasn't you that cut them off. They gave you, because of the data, they gave you the information you needed to cut them off. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, doing it that way, I think it helps. I think sometimes, and you know, it's for me, it was embarrassing, um, but it's also being real with yourself. Why are you in certain relationships? Um, sometimes we're in relationships because we want to feel good, but there's nothing wrong with that, right? We, we all want to belong. We all want to be loved. And sometimes we're in relationships where that person showed you who they are. You know, uh, Maya Angelou, uh, the late Maya Angelou, she was um, known to say, when a person shows you who they are, believe them. And so many, admittedly, I, I hear this more from women, um, we're nurturers. Mm. Um, I think that's just because of how science has created us in terms of our limbic system being larger. And that's, you know, probably a different conversation, but um, we are more often nurturers um, and we're trying to stay in and stick in. And if anyone comes into your space and they disrespect your space, your heart space, your mental space, your standards, your requirements. This is not, oh, uh, my love is going to save this person. No, because nobody's love is ever going to save a toxic person. They have got to want to save themselves. So it's looking at the standard that has been set in place. And if that person, that group, that situation is being abusive to that, you have your data. Mm. And now it's for you to act upon that data. So let's use racism, actually any ism really. <laughs> it's okay, I hear a person um, talking negatively. I hear a person talking about another person's ethnicity, their gender, their, their smelly feet. I mean, it might seem really, really low, but it's like people are sensitive and you don't want to put a person in a space that, uh, that disrespects their dignity. So I think if anything, if you ever hear somebody being disrespected, stand with that person and because i mean people try and tend to laugh it off like oh i didn't mean anything i would ask that person when if you ever were able to get one-on-one -on -one time with them are they okay and ask them how you how they would like to be supported um because there are also spaces and places where people don't want um to have anybody say anything because they feel like it makes them be uh, conspicuous mm -hmm. and understandable um, but I think being able to even stand up and if that person doesn't want to be the center of that, you can still speak up about the principle what that person is doing. So um, I, as you can see, I have curly hair and sometimes it is just out and loud and just, and sometimes it's not. And I've had um, a person say, oh, well, why don't you go back to the country where you came from? Like, well, I came from America, so I mean, but we're talking about ethnically. Um, and before I could even say something, uh, another martial artist was like, well, that was rude. And her hair is beautiful, but even if it wasn't, you shouldn't have said that. I didn't even have to say anything. And I was geared up to do that. And I appreciated that. 
Um, and then they came to me later and they asked, hey, was that okay? You know, did I overstep? I'm like, no, I appreciate that. What that did for me was it helped me feel less alone. And I'm capable of speaking out because I've had to so often, but it let me know that I wasn't in that experience by myself. It also put that person who made that comment on notice. What you did is not okay. And while they tried to laugh it off, like, ha ha, well, y'all just need to learn how to take a joke. Well, a joke is only really, con it constitutes as funny when all parties are showing up within that specific entertainment. And it wasn't entertaining. So check yourself. So they didn't say anything else about um, my hair. They did other things because that was them, but I also found out that they were just displaying their insecurity. I did stop going to that location, um, but I still connect with the person who talked about my hair in a positive way, so. Yes, absolutely. I think they kind of uh, undervalue those little actions, which are not little, really. They're, they're quite big and, um, the whether or not you remain in the space to see what happens um just as like microaggressions accumulate yes. over time i think yes. micro kindnesses also accumulate over time and eventually you know you might not see the change in that space and you and you're still well within your right to leave always but that might just be the straw that builds the camel's back into you know actual love, change within that space. It might not, but it might. I love that you said that. And I will quote you at, on your micro kindness. I say micro successes because I think it's important for us to build on our successes. I've never heard micro kindness. I love that. So I will be citing you. Um, in my, where I live, um, it's rural-ish. Um, and I've had, you know, people just make comments about my color. And um, to your point, I'm working on emotional resiliency, and I don't in any way mean emotional resilience means that you have to take abuse. I, abuse should not ever be tolerated. What I'm doing is trying to actively notice when people are doing this, the why. And sometimes we won't really get to the full why, but I, so in this one particular case, um, I noticed that they were they were talking about me and my color and like, oh, well, there's just too much color here and they need to go back to where they came from, like stuff like that. And they were waiting for a reaction and I didn't give them one. So then they were talking louder. So then they were talking so loud that other people in other offices were coming out and like, what are they talking about? And then they had to quiet themselves. Now, I, I will tell you my inner <laughs> voice was like, I really wanna go over there and smash your head. But I was like, okay, um, Kanisha, you're not going to do that because that's the reaction that they want. And I could see that by me not saying anything to them and not engaging, that that was angering them. So that was kind of like a light within myself, like, okay, so you're saying this because you're wanting me to react in a negative way. I'm not going to give in to that. Mm -hmm. So that was about five years ago. And just employing a scripture of, you know, killing a person with kindness. Um, of course, my uh, imagination wanted to kill in other ways, but I didn't, obviously. <laughs> so um, we're five years now, and every time I go into this office, these two people come from around um, their desk to say hello. They have apologized, like they apologized two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them shared a, a story that, I, it doesn't make it right, but I, I understand in part 
that they had a hard issue with somebody of color and so forth and on. I'm like, well, just because you had an issue with somebody, right, exactly. This, it doesn't mean that you get to do that with everybody else. Um, but I, I did accept their apology. Does it mean that we're going to go and hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Absolutely not. Does it mean that I'm going to invite them into my home? Probably not. But it does mean that I see that work in progress in me being in this area. I'm trying to use my martial arts skills, my background um, in, in spirituality, my belief in, in God. Um, I'm not a traditional Christian, I guess, but I'm one that believes in, in, in love and, and, and promoting positivity and wellness. But I'm also, I, it's interesting that people think that because you're kind, that you kind of won't put your foot in somebody's behind if you need to. And that's the martial artist in me, you know? <laughs> so it's like, all right, but how do we do this in a way that's constructive and moving the narrative forward as opposed to, you know, oh, well, you suck because you call me that. And because of course I could have gone there. And then there's some situations where I just had to leave because it just was not safe. I'm like, okay, no story is going to keep me and my self from harm. So it's like you have to pick your battles in a way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes you really are there to stay. Sometimes there's no other choice. And then there's other times when you're going to make the choice to create the space that you're hoping it can be and hope that people follow suit and it becomes healthier. Yes. Makes sense. It does. <laughs> it really does. Um, and I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier around creating characters um, mm. and how our experiences shape what our characters are capable of doing. And so, you know, if I think about my life, you know, when I was 20, 21, the kinds of things that I would tolerate from mm. men in, you know, martial arts settings were so different to what I would tolerate now. Right. Um, and it's not that I blame that, like, very young person who was, you know, just it, not that she was too young, but just she didn't have any experience at saying no, right? right. So if you can't do really what you've never done or until you've done it, and and it, it needs to be a slow thing, like you can't just be this, this huge jump for some people it might be, but I know for me it was like a slow buildup of stepping into like, what my values were, what I would stand for, what I wouldn't stand for. And also just realizing that like, you're allowed to say no. I didn't even yes. realize that. It wouldn't yes. even come to my mind to be like, oh no, I'm gonna set a boundary here. I'm gonna step, I'm gonna step in here. I didn't even think it was something that I was allowed to do. Um, and, and now it's very, very different, but that's because I've had all these little experiences that have showed me like, oh yeah, I, I know in my mind's eye now, that Georgia actually would do that. She's capable of that. And some of that was storytelling where, yep. you know, I would, I would see my friends go through similar things and I'd be like, oh, no, like, we cannot stand for that. Like, if it's for you, then no, like, I'm going to go and talk to them and I'm going to do this and, you know, if I'm protecting <laughs> somebody else. But for me, that was like the, um, I guess, the stepping stone to doing that for myself, which felt, mm. you know, for whatever reason, so much harder than doing it for, you know, a valued friend. You know, I, I value everything you said and you're doing, and especially that part, because it's something I've learned for myself, and I, I use it now with clients, 
that no is a complete sentence. And when people try to make you shift your opinion, like people ask me to do stuff all the time. And when I say no, they're like, oh, but you're so great. I'm like, no, no, don't manipulate me. Oh, well, oh, you could do this. I'm like, yeah, why don't you accept my no? Like you would be grateful for my yes. So that right there is you're not respecting my personage. So if I'm only there to serve you and your desires, we now have a problem and you're showing who you are. And I have a problem with that. And then transitioning that, because like you, I had to learn how to say no, because, you know, I, growing up in an abusive household, on the outside, everything looked awesome. Like my family had money, although <laughs> we, my kid, my brother and myself, we had to fight for stuff, but we looked like we were affluent and all these things. And it was very difficult. And I wanted to belong. I wanted to, so I was very performative. So if anybody wanted anything to be done, I was yes, 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 yes. And I was exhausted, <laughs> which is like, okay, um, is this what life is? And well, yeah, it's what life is because that's what I knew it to be. And I knew that it was wrong, but just because I knew it was wrong didn't mean I knew what was correct and or right. Mm -hmm. So it's learning like with those micro successes, those, those little no's that build into those bigger no's. And then it's like, oh, like I N-O, because I K-N-O-W, I now know better, you know, and it's hard. But if you look at yourself as a friend, and this is something I started to do when I've been journaling too, and I could, it's been a, like years now, but I look at myself and I call myself friend and I'm like, okay, friend, do we really want to do this? And then sometimes, you know, that's learning your voice. And like, I'll feel like that jumbly pit in my stomach. I'm like, okay. What's going on, friend? <laughs> What's going on? And it's talking to yourself because we have been, in martial arts, we have conditioning, right? Various conditioning practices. Us saying yes often, that's a conditioning practice too. So us reconditioning our condition is recognizing, no, I'm a person and I have needs and it's okay for me to have needs. And it's okay for me to say no and for all of us who like to just go out and do a lot of things, like, you know, you don't have to, you can sit in your chair and watch a movie and say no to everybody asking you for stuff. And it might seem selfish, but selfish is different from self-fulfillment. Selfish is only a portion of yourself. Self-full is living within the fullness of you. And sometimes that fullness of you needs rest. So you can say no and it's okay. And the friend in you will thank you for it. Oh my gosh. And you'll make mistakes, but the people who love you, they see you <laughs> and they're like, okay, maybe a, a bit of an overcorrection, but that's okay. <laughs> it's better to overcorrect than not correct at all. It's reconditioning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love so much of all of this conversation. And we didn't even get to talking about your dissertation yet. So um, <laughs> you've been, you know, doing martial arts, you've been doing what I would call art therapy. I'm not sure if you call it art therapy. Um, and here now you are doing your doctoral thesis. So what has your academic journey been like and, and what are you researching? Oh my goodness, Georgia. Um, I never thought I would be pursuing any of what I'm doing. Um, I, so I've had six surgeries in eight years and I am just convinced that if you don't deal with the traumas and pains, 
um, it internalizes in your body and it manifests into some type of dis-ease because mm -hmm. that dis-ease, it has nowhere to go. So it affects your organs, you're just, it, it just attaches somewhere. So I had the uncomfortable um, issues of, I was, hopefully this is not gonna gross out your audience. Um, I was bleeding a lot. And I had doctors tell me that um, it was all in my head. And I'm like, yeah, I can assure you that it's not. And if you want, I can give you a physical demonstration of how it's not. Uh, where I moved, they, uh, they honored that something was wrong, but they also didn't know. So this has been like years of trying to figure out. And then I've had these surgeries. And luckily I moved to a state where the healthcare is better and um, the doctors are actually willing to listen, but it took off so much, so much time. So I had to actually start to question, well, because I had my um, ovaries removed and yeah. I had to figure out, well, what does it mean to be a woman? And then that actually brought me into the conversation of gender versus sexuality. And so I, it, it had me thinking about things, but also led me to art therapy. And I didn't know that this was even a field. And um, I played this game anytime I was going to doctor's offices, which was at that time, two to three times a week. How many magazines can I read? So I generally get to get through two magazines. And in one of them, WebMD was our therapy. I'm like, oh my goodness, mine, wow, this is a thing. I get better, this is what I'm gonna do. So I returned back to school and um, I decided I'm gonna do this. And then um, I love my classes, but I was like, yeah, I don't wanna do this. <laughs> I want to do this. I want to do something else. So I started uh, my own nonprofit, and it's my care initiative, community arts research education. And I knew that I wanted to use art to help people, but I also wanted to do some other things in communities. So that led to me getting my master's. Um, so it's the uh, theatrical education as a specialization with abuse trauma, and being able to help in that way. But then martial arts just never left. As much as I tried to like scrub it off, it wouldn't leave me alone, Georgia. It's like, oh my gosh, why don't you just go? It's like, no, no, we're here. So anytime I could talk about martial arts, I would. And anytime I would be around martial artists, it was like, okay. Um, and then this doctoral path um, was literally like, how can I connect neuroscience and story and being able to help people? And that's transition to metacognition um, and helping people look at their thoughts and the stories that they create using martial arts and breaking to be able to help people break down the binary stories and the societal stigmas and how do we then be able to work together. And yeah, um, I'm in my third year and this is research year and field research and I'm excited and nervous. <laughs> but this is what it is. <laughs> so what is the research going to involve? Are you going to do research about the board breaking specifically? Please tell me it's going to be that. I am. I'm incorporating board breaking. I'm creating my own uh, pedagogy, which is really like, oh, okay, but we're doing this. And yeah, Dr. Are. Jennings, oh my gosh. And so many people that I met at these conferences, they're like, we're here for you. How do we, and I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to be calling on you. But what I want to do, or and what I want to do is I want to have conversations with women uh, martial artists. And I think that, and I'm interested, I'm curious what you, um, your thoughts. I think that women are starting to be recognized as whole beings in martial arts, but 
at least largely, but not in its entirety. I think women are often associated in martial arts as being hypersexualized and like a partner to the man. And being a partner with a man is not a problem. The problem is when we're taking the backseat continuously and we're not recognized as whole beings as who we are. So I'm seeing that there's a shift, but I'm also seeing that that shift is not happening as quickly as I think it should. <laughs> so I think that having the conversation about why trauma responsive and talking to trauma sensitive, trauma informed and trauma aware martial artists um, who are largely women, I, I wanna get their stories. So it's more of an auto um, phenomenal, oh my, I can't even say it now, auto, <laughs> an auto ethnographic, but also um, phenomenology um, connector there and sharing why this is important because this is healthcare, but it's also wellness. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're discounted as being a viable resource for mental health advocacy and allies, that messes up with how we can serve in our communities. Um, financial, you know, a lot of martial artists are often, um, oh, you're only at, at it for money. But like, well, we've got to reframe that. People have bills they have to pay. I mean, this is what it is, but it's also a service. So why not have martial artists who are especially doing this within that specialization, pay them so then they can continue to serve. So these stories, I'm hoping to be able to advocate with that and using um, tri uh, theatrical education to be able to show different segments by vignettes and um, have some audience participation. So that's where participatory um, action research is gonna be connected. And I want engagement and also be able to serve. So that's what is projected. <laughs> You'll be informed for sure. <laughs> I want to help however I can. If I can connect you to folks within my network, then I absolutely will. Other women um, in, and, and non-binary people as well. And it's wonderful yeah. non-binary folk doing work in the space. Um, and men too. When when I have yes. the, when the he yes. hims reach out to me and they're like, can I be involved in this space? Um, I am so, so grateful to all men right. who are, um, just like comfortable enough to know that like I'm going to ask you your pronouns straight up at the, the top of my form and that's a really good litmus test for you know who who the, is the kind of person that I want to work with in this space um, and the conversations yeah. that I'm having more recently actually where the men are coming out of the works to to do this work is yes. so so needed um, and I'm yeah. so grateful to to all of the people who are wanting to do work in the trauma-informed space your work is going to be incredible I am so so excited to to see this I don't 100% mm -hmm. understand the the theater piece but I'm like so intrigued I want to know more about like what that area of study what that area of practice even um looks and feels like uh, but yeah I'm just I'm very here to learn more basically yeah we're trying to get you here I I really do have some ideas so <laughs> Oh yeah, this is this will be offline conversations. So don't worry to to everybody listening. I always drop all these teasers where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be connecting this person to this person soon. And we're going to be bringing this other work in. Um, so yeah, that there are just so many great people now. Like when I 
when I hosted um, the conference that George probably told you about uh, two years ago now, it, that was 20 people and that was like all of the practitioners and researchers in the space that um, I could find. And I would say that number's probably tripled now um, since we did that work. And and that's just ones that like I'm aware of. Um, every time I do a podcast interview or I meet a new researcher or I meet a new person, then they'll introduce me to somebody else. Um, and it's, it's just so wonderful to hear all the ways that we are approaching this space, um, that we, you know, borrowing from each other's ideas and how collaborative that the trauma-informed space is like you said um yes. earlier i'm not sure yes. if it was online or offline but how you said that like you know you reached out to 32 people and you only had one negative response that really mm -hmm. has been my experience as well where there have been a few people who think that they're going to trademark the idea of trauma informed martial arts and don't want to collaborate but by and large everybody has been so willing to share their ideas to yeah. you know donate their time to have conversations you know yes. to collaborate and i think that that's what's needed if we're going yes. to you know get recognition from governing bodies which is my like life's mission basically is to be like government pay us so that we can give this work we can share this work with the folks who do not have the capacity to do so because you're investing so much money in areas that are clearly, you know, not working or in, right. in isolation that they're not working. You know, we just need to look at society as being very complex and therefore offering a multitude of solutions. And I think that trauma-informed martial arts is a piece of that of that puzzle. It's so amazing you just said that because it, it comes right back to martial arts, right? It's just like because there's so many different types and disciplines of martial arts, it's it stifles, I hope, um, continuously, which martial art is the best. It's like, well, no, which martial art is the best for you? And much like many of us are experiencing in our lives, you may not just have one job in your life. You may actually have several types of jobs. Some are going to be better suited. Some are going to be better suited at that time that you're in. So it doesn't mean, and some you're just going to actually love, so that's great. But it doesn't mean that one has to be better in martial arts. It doesn't mean that one has to be better than another person's. And I think that us in this space of being able to show up, you show other people how to also then operate in healthier ways. So that's why I really believe in this. And it's so something you said, I think, oh my gosh, it's so true. It's sad, but it's true that you have so many people who are like, well, I'm going to trademark this as my own. Like, well, that sounds like a lot of fear. And it sounds like you're operating out of lack. Mm. Because really, the core of creativity is not, oh, I see what you're doing. I'm going to steal what you're doing. It's, oh, I'm inspired what you're doing. And I'm going to thus now create my own. So it's like this constant thread that you can see, oh, well, it's like these building blocks in this thread of this person did this and I took from this, but I'm also paying, I, I'm citing this person because they have excited the inner me to be able to do other things. So it's like anybody who's like, oh, well, it's all mine. Like, yeah, that sounds like control in a, dealing out of black there buddy let's 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 do some inner work <laughs> yes right oh my goodness and and at the end of the day it it doesn't serve anybody either because this 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 train is rolling already whether or not you yes. want to try and build build your own track or just get on the train is totally up to you but 
um, and with every single person that jumps on board, it's picking up momentum. And, yeah. um, you know, like you said, there are so many different martial arts and people ask me that a lot, which is the best martial art to do if I've experienced trauma or which is the best martial art for whatever. And I can't give you an answer because it really depends right. on the instructor. It depends right. on you as a person and it depends on the culture of the gym that you're training yeah. at um, or the yeah. dojo, however you want to say it. Um, and that's where I think it's such an exciting opportunity to you know, build up both academically um, and also in practice and continuously bridge that gap between academics and practice. Um, some founding principles around what do we agree upon? Not what, mm -hmm. in what ways are we different and in what ways do we disagree, but what are the sure. core things that we actually agree on? Because, yes. you know, martial arts are by and large, whether or not they have, you know, a governing body who does regulate, you know, for example, you know, the syllabus required for each belt or, you know, like an example is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has no governing body that dictates this is what a blue belt is, this is what a purple mm -hmm. belt is, etc. It's totally up to individual um, interpretation by mm -hmm. each black belt. Right. Um, so we don't have any kind of standardization across the board, but what we can have is a worldwide network of people across martial arts who are going to stand up and say, first of all, I'm going to protect my students. That's first yes. and foremost. There is yes. a huge power disparity between coaches and students. Yes. Um, and we always need to really be mindful of our positions of power as facilitators and the potential yes. for abuse, whether it is um, deliberate or not. And the first thing to think about is whether or not instructors within your space are abusing their position of power, yes. Um, yes. you know, and, yes. and thinking about, like you said, the types of people who are often drawn to, to training in martial arts, it's in response to something that they've experienced, which unfortunately does make you more susceptible to, you know, abuse. And so first yes. of all, re-victimization. Yes. Yep. Yes. We, we need to try and create spaces that, you know, again, while we can never promise safety, we need to try and do everything we can to move towards safety, to create safer spaces, safe enough spaces that people can exist within them and just focus on their personal growth and their training instead of oh gosh, defending yes. themselves from, you know, advances and abuse. And if we can create principles around that, even if we did that as the trauma-informed martial arts community, to me, that would be a huge step up. And we're seeing stories, you know, across across the world currently of ways that those, those systems are not being upheld within traditional martial arts settings. That's first and foremost. And then what can we build again to move away from pain and towards that beautiful, joyful, pleasurable martial arts movement? Um, if we have those principles shared around the world, that's a different world to me. That that right there, Absolutely. that's a changed world. Oh my gosh. I love everything you just said. And I so I, I really uh, my um breaking coach, Master Zambri, the also the person I heard who was making all those noises that br brought me to breaking. Um, he is an advocate and uh he's someone that I I feel safe around. Mm -hmm. And he um is one of those people that you were just talking about. I didn't always have a lot of those people, but he is one who how can I show up? How, what do you need? What does this look like? And it's being able to support him and others who want to, and also like what you were saying, like these spaces, like um, 
there's a, a karate instructor, excuse me, sensei, oh my goodness, I, I can see him looking at me like, you know that's not what my title is, I'm like, okay, sorry, sir. Um, Master um, Marcelo Vero, he, he uses martial arts and social justice to be able to have peace and harmony in his um, training spaces, but he also goes into the community. And so I just bring those up because I think it's important for us to not box in martial arts. You know, like it has to only look at like this and has to only be applied like this. Um, an attorney friend in Florida, uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, Roger Scott, he has uh, trained in Taekwondo and Muay Thai and he's he's an attorney and he applies the principles there because it's like, you know, we can't just be so confined to our training centers and spaces, but we also need to make sure that our training centers and spaces are safe. And that includes emotional safety. So yes to everything you just said and more. <laughs> uh, we could truly do a three hour podcast, but I want to be really mindful of your oh, energy oh. and also the energy of our audience at um, listening to us. If, if folks would like us to do another episode, you know, you can comment on the YouTube video or reach out to me via the website and just let us know if there are other topics you'd like us to discuss. But um, obviously, this is not going to be the, the end of this beautiful, <laughs> blossoming friendship. Um, and I, I want to put things back to you for the last sentiments. Is there anything that you would like to share with folks um, before we talk about how they can get in touch with you, which is, of course, critical? Um, talking to you is very easy. Um, I, it didn't even feel like an hour. So, oh my goodness, that's awesome. That's not the experience with many situations. Um, I want people to remember that your voice is needed, please. And please, even if it may seem like it's silly or insignificant, if you are feeling bothered, trauma, like just not something is sitting well with you, it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, sometimes I think we just um, diminish our intuition because, oh, what if I'm wrong? And if you're wrong, then you're wrong and, and you learn. So I share that as a request from somebody you don't know, but who does absolutely care about um, healing and wanting wellness for everyone because wellness for everyone means that we have a healthier world, that you listen to your voice and hug your inner friend. Like that might sound corny and I get it, but um, we can be friends to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we actually connect with that friend part, we wanna do right by that friend. So, I just put that out there to you as a martial artist, as a person who definitely believes in healing and growth, embrace that inner friend of yours and protect that and you're gonna be okay. And thank you, Georgia, for what you're doing. Always. Uh, Keisha, how can folks reach out to you online? <laughs> well, friends. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because I do get back eventually, but sometimes it'll take like a day or so. Um, you can feel free to stop by our website. We're updating, but the information is still there. You can see things that we've been doing throughout the years. Um, MyCareInitiative.org and um, emails are on 
the website. You can connect with me via social media. I am being so intentional, everyone, because I haven't really been on social media a lot. I know it's weird, but that's what it is. Uh, so you can look up Right One KC, or you can look up Breakthrough Silence and My Care Initiative. And we are on social media via Facebook as well as Instagram. And you can email me, and that's probably kind of the fastest way to connect with me. So it's KC at mycareinitiative.org. I love it. To reach out to you. Yes, we'll put all of those details in the show notes. So if you'd like to reach out with Kenesha, then you can do that via those links. Thank you for being part of the club. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch, please refer to the information in the show notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider leaving us a review or subscribing on whichever platforms you use to listen or watch the podcast. The Conscious Combat Club acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands in which we work, live and play. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We'd like to say thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. If you'd like to connect with Nari, you can find her on Instagram at Nari Nobody shapes me, but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience, meets power, meets gracious, meets. We're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars, barriers and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? 
I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?